So it's been a week of uh, rapid development and escalation uh, in Ukraine, and we've covered some of it. We've talked, of course, about the renewed attacks and um, the civilian deaths and how that's been carrying on. Um, talk about the fact that uh, nuclear exercises are being undertaken right now by NATO, and they will be followed up by exercises by Russia. Uh, so it's constantly uh, a, a ramping up of tensions and an escalation. More today, I'm not sure how it fits in and what it means in terms of the direction that this conflict is going. So we're going to chat with Christian Luprecht, who is a professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University, editor of the Canadian Military Journal and author of Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press. Christian, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate your time. Good morning, Shane. My pleasure. So a couple of the developments I want to get your take on and what it might mean to where this conflict is headed. Today, uh, the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, declared martial law in four Russian-occupied regions in Ukraine. Those are the ones that are up for question where they had the referenda. Um, but also some in Russia. Just how do you read what, what, what uh, Putin did today and why he did what he did? Well, practically, I mean, given that the rule of law is uh, rather irrelevant uh, in the way, in Russia in general, let alone the way that it's been applied in the occupied uh, um, uh, territories of Ukraine, um, it probably doesn't have a significant impact on the ground per se. Uh, this is rather for a domestic audience. Putin has to sell to uh, his people. Uh, why there's this withdrawal uh, from Sherson because of course his uh, he's always told the Russians that you know his military is so superior and that everything is going according to plan and so I think he's sort of portraying this as trying to change the narrative that it is Ukraine that is somehow attacking what is now Russian territory this is why he had to annex the territory in the first place so that now he can weave a narrative that somehow it is Russia that is under an existential threat and it is Ukraine uh, that is going after civilian infrastructure, civilians, and that Russia is somehow the good, uh, the good country here trying to save civilians uh, from uh, from the Ukrainians. So I think this is sort of what's really going on with the with martial law and sort of as an effort that uh, uh, that that Russia here. This is a I think an effort by Russia to posture. Uh, to its own population about the measures that it has to take um, in, in in defending itself. Um, of course, you know, it's just a spin in a narrative, but, you know, they have to come up with something given how badly things are going for them. But does that change the way they may respond? Like you're saying, it's a spin, it's a narrative. I mean, there being the anticipation with the Sherson, as you say, uh, is that they'll be driven out. The Ukrainian forces will retake uh, that region uh, from Russia. So they'll be claiming that this is a defensive move that they're making. But at the same time, does that change the way that they feel emboldened in, in how they respond if now they're on the defensive instead of uh, making some sort of offensive move? Uh, yeah, I think what Putin has to get ready for is he's going to have to sell more of these sort of stories to uh, his population. And if the three-star general who had predicted the counteroffensive um, in the spring of this year um, is correct, the U.S. three-star, uh, then by the spring of next year, Ukraine will be retaking the Crimea. Um, and so given that his own general, who is now in charge of uh, uh, troops in, uh, in the Ukrainian occupied territory, 
territories, Zerovikin, who himself has serious blood on his hands from Chechnya and from Syria, um, going on state television and saying that things aren't going all that well. Uh, it suggests that it's sort of sinking in in Russia that yeah. uh, uh, they really are starting to run out of options rather quickly. The other one I wanted to ask you about is the emergence of Iran as a player in all of this. Let's talk about the drones, the drones that were used in the attacks on Kiev earlier this weekend. It appears they were Iranian, right? Right. So this is my enemy's enemy is my friend, right? So that both the Iranians and Putin uh, have, I shouldn't say the Iranians, the Iranian regime um, and and Putin and his kleptocracy have a hate on for Russia. Uh, sorry, have a hate on for the United States because, of course, the United States, in particular since the end of World War II, represents what we refer to as the international rules-based order. But that's not really an international rules-based order. It's Western countries that have shaped the international world to the best of their ability with the values and the norms that they believe are essential to provide prosperity, freedom, equality, democracy for people. And of course, tyrannical authoritarian regimes aren't clear, aren't on side with those values. So no surprise that they would be opposed to that order. And so this is Iran and Russia making common cause, not just, of course, now sending drones, but also it appears Iran uh, sending the trainers of how to operate uh, those drones uh, to, uh, to Crimea to train up Russia. Russian forces. How concerning is that? The fact, I mean, I guess the estimation has always been that they're involved, at least in the background. But now that we know that they're working in the region and they're uh, they're arming Russia, does that change how this conflict is being perceived by the West? Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at that. Sure. I mean, we should be concerned because the Iranians um, have considerable experience. If you look at the last uh, 10, 15 years in the Middle East and the way Iran has been able to expand its influence in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, uh, they have considerable experience on the battlefield, including with drones. So they certainly know how to make use of that technology and to make use of fairly unsophisticated technology. At the same time, of course, it may also be the silver line here might be that you know when your best friends are iran and north korea yeah. it suggests that maybe russia's runway is getting a little bit short yeah exactly that's a really good point um christian thank you so much for your time i appreciate you joining us Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.